Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Just because something is legal doesn't always mean it's ethical. Completely agree. That's what exactly what I was going to say. And and it, I think also, you know, with these products too, there's, especially with these in particular, there's a lot of hidden fees. Um, and I don't think they're, they, they don't disclose them very clearly either. Um, and that's the main reason, if you're wondering why they make it so hard, most of the time, at least what I've found, Amy, tell me if I'm wrong, but what my clients are in can be very expensive products mm -hmm. or funds or whatever it is. And the reason that these companies make it so hard for them to get their money out is they want to keep making money off of that. Sure, sure, yeah. Hey, podcast listeners. Welcome to episode 53 of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. Today's guest is Heather Townsend. Heather and I are um, in an organization called the XY Planning Network together, as you've heard me talk about that organization in the past. Um, we have a passion that we share about education. We believe that from the core of what we do as financial planners, there needs to become uh, a great deal of education given in our field and to the consumer about what products are actually out there. So uh, I think you'll find today's uh, in podcast very interesting. Uh, I happen to name it Buyer Beware. <laughs> um, so as you listen to the discussion, just I know we rant a little bit, but I think you're going to find it um, interesting to know uh, different product costs that are out there and, and so that you can ask questions around those products. As y'all hear also, she is a fan of the Malbec, which as you know, is one of my favorite wines. Also, you've heard me talk about Malbecs many times, but what I do want to highlight today in the journey on the Seneca Lake Wine Trail as the ambassador is even though it's cold in New York um, and specifically the Seneca Lake Wine region, don't let that prohibit you from trying some of the unique wines that are in that region. Uh, one of the areas that has, one of the wineries that has some history in the Seneca Lake wine is Fulkerson Winery. So we encourage you to uh, make that journey out to see the Fulker Fulkerson folks, no pun intended there. Um, they do have right now on Seneca Lake a, a weekday wine passport and coming up there's a savory world of the Seneca 
lake coming in in uh, February and there's some preferred pairings that you might be interested in. Remember, life is about events that is supported by dollars and cents and that would be quite an event for you to be able to uh, reach out and explore. If not physically, then you can always hop on over to their website and order some of their wines. They will ship to many states in the United States. We hope you sit back, sip your favorite wine, and enjoy episode 53 with Heather Thompson. You are listening to Wine and Dime, a podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance. Hosted by Amy Irvine, certified financial planner and owner of Irvine Wealth Planning Strategies, located in Corning, New York. And now here's your host, Amy Irvine. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. Today's guest is Heather Townsend. Um, I don't know how to explain Heather other than one of the sweetest people I know in the financial planning profession. Um, I've enjoyed getting to know her over the last couple of months and spending time with her at the XYPN conference was wonderful. Um, Heather and I share a passion for changing this profession. And you'll hear about that throughout the course of the conversation, some frustrations that we have about our profession, but how we've both come to love exactly what we can do with our clients. So Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you, Amy. I'm very excited to be on. I'm excited to have you. And, you know, I always open every episode with a reminder that our lives, in my opinion, are very similar to vineyards, right? We all are different. And just like wines are different, different regions produce different kinds of wine. A Riesling from Germany is different than a Riesling from upstate New York in a lot of cases and a Riesling from Oregon. Um, but, but we have our favorite parts of our lives or our vineyard that we can share with each other. So because I like to start the show with a lot of fun, um, how about starting with what's your favorite wine and why? Well, I love the Bordeaux, but only from the right bank. Um, the left bank I visited and they were a little, no one take offense, but they were a little more, I guess, stuck up um, where the right bank was very warm and the wine reflected that. And I loved that. Um, and uh, it might have been had to do with the fact that my husband had just proposed two days before <laughs> going to Bordeaux, which is why I really love them too. But um, the other one that I love is Malbec because I feel mm -hmm. like I'm a red wine person, clearly. And when I go to a restaurant, I feel like the Malbec is like my safety net where I feel like for a great price, I get a good wine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love value. I, I actually had a guest um, not too long ago, well, probably longer ago than I'm thinking, but she's an attorney out of Georgia, actually. And uh, she makes sangria with Malbec. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that has to be quite the sangria. Have you tried it? I have not. But oh. I, I, I was like, well, that's a first. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely a first. And something I kind of may want to try. 
<laughs> so I also am a Malbec fan and I think you're right. It's a, it's a safety. It's, it's kind of the new cab Sauvignon because people used to always say, well, or Merlot, you can never go wrong with those two wines. Right. But I, I honestly think that because a lot of people don't know that Malbec used to be used as a blend wine. And so a lot of the red blends had Malbec in it. And then they were like, Hey, this isn't so bad all by itself. Um, so it's a nice wine in my opinion, but you do have to like dry reds in order to like it. So yeah, it's a good wine. I agree. You and I, again, another common commonality in our different, you know, makeups. Uh, we all, we, we came from different vineyards, but we definitely have that centric um, commonality. So, um, like wines, there's a beginning development and aging process. And I like to think people are very much like that as well. I think we get better as we get older, but you know, age a little bit. So let's start at your beginning, walk us a little bit through your life. And, and I love your story as to how you transitioned um, into the financial planning profession. So, um, would love to hear how that all came about. Uh, sure. So, um, I went to school and, um, at first I actually thought I was going to be a finance major, but I took my first accounting class and I'm a nerd and I fell in love with debits and credits and had to balance. So, um, you know, I went in and it was harder, which is so nerdy, but I just, I loved it. And so I became an accounting major and that was a good call because I graduated in 2009. And so, um, I was able to get a, a good job um, going the CPA route, and I worked for um, a big four accounting firm. For those of you who don't know, there's, the, there's four humongous um, accounting firms that are global, and I worked for one of them. And what came with that was 80-hour um, work weeks. Yeah. Um, so one thing, learning as you get older, I learned I did not enjoy the 80-hour work weeks. Um, you know, I was... 23 years old, I remember going over the Bay Bridge uh, to my San Francisco office and crying to my mom. And I'm not a very emotional person, but because I didn't have time to do my laundry. So, um, so after that, after about like two and a half years, I knew I was just looking around. I was really working my way up, but I was like, I don't want this life. So I'm, I was like, I got to go after something I'm passionate with. So I started working for property developers and helping them um, figure out how to make those construction projects profitable and what to do with those profits um, once they were in the business and how to move them out into their personal life and, and maximize them and save taxes. Mm -hmm. So as I was, you know, in this time making all these, because at the big four accounting firm, I was doing really high net worth uh individual taxes, and then you know, the property developers, they were pretty well off. So as I was getting all these other people wealthier, my poor friends were coming to me with questions like, Heather, um, how much should I put in with the holding? Should I put a one? Should I put a zero? What's a 401k? How much should I put, a, put across? Wait, how, how do I, how do I keep, how do I have money in my checking account at the end of the month? Like I'm always negative. Like, how do you do this, Heather? Like I can never pay off my credit card. And you know, then as we kept, as I kept getting older, you know, the questions started getting more complex. Like, you know, what mm -hmm. should I invest in my 401k? And what about employee benefits? And it just lit me up. And the other story that I didn't share is that um, when I was 19 years old, I decided I wanted to put my internship money in a Roth IRA. And 
Um, but what I didn't know is, you know, like any, any child, they go to their parents' financial advisor, but I didn't know how he was being compensated. And it was, he was making commissions off of what he put me in and they might've not been what was best for my situation. So when you combine all of this of me helping my friends and them telling me, Oh my gosh, you're changing my life. I now get this and how that would light me up. And then finding out that the financial planning industry is not really the most, um, Mm -hmm. how do you say it? Transparent on (laughs) things. Um, and, and that we aren't taught this in school. Um, I found my calling and I finally opened my own practice and Mm -hmm. that's been very, very fulfilling. And when you, um, when you talk about the using, you know, it's using your parents' financial advisor and not knowing how, how they got paid. Do you think your parents knew how they got paid? No, not at all. Yeah. It's interesting to me. I, I, I guess from my standpoint, you know, I, I wish, I wish we were taught that in high school. That's one of my sort of passions uh, is to get it a required class. I'm um, with you on that completely. Have, have you had a chance to talk to your parents about the direction that you've gone and how it differs? Yes. Well, I mean, not to get too personal, but, um, my father has actually passed away, but, um, I think one of the reasons that led to his stress and passing was money, um, the, the financial stress and my mom now on her own, um, you know, I'm guiding her now. Thankfully she trusts me. Um, but it's an education process. You know, I can't throw Mm -hmm. too much at her and, and I think her eyes are, are much more open. And um, I feel honored that she, she wants to trust me and listen to me. But I think that that's also the most rewarding is that I can make a difference. And, sure. you know, she's approaching retirement and um, I think is going to feel a lot more confident going through retirement after I've been able to explain, you know, how social security works and mm-hmm. how, how much you should, you know, take up from your IRA and things like that. And, um, but yeah, there's just really you can't really blame anyone because it's not taught. And the financial advisors, at least in our, in my parents' day and age, they, they did not disclose how they were compensated. It kind of just was what it was. I want to go back to something you just said. You can't really blame anyone because they're not taught. I just had a conversation with somebody yesterday for another recording And we got on the topic of how embarrassing it is to ask for help. Like people don't like, we're willing to go to our doctor. We're willing to go to our dentist. We're willing to go to our attorney. We're willing to go to the CPA in most cases. But when it comes to financial planning, people feel, at least in my experience and the conversations I've had, like they should know this information. Like they feel that asking for help is admitting that they're uneducated. And, you know, we need to break those barriers down, number one. Just like an attorney is educated, just like a CPA is educated, just like a doctor is educated, we, are, we as financial planners are educated. Now we are, right? And I think a lot of people are afraid to come to us because they don't, they feel like we're going to judge them. Now we're going to look at all their dirty laundry and what they don't know. And we're going to judge them. And I always say that is not my place. 
just like your doctor doesn't judge you. Well, your doctor might judge you actually, (laughs) (laughs) but for the most part, they don't, um, you know, it's, I think changing that thought and, and incorporating education into what we do helps that. What have you noticed in your transition? Well, I'd say first off, what you said about the blaming. When I see clients come to me or that are looking for help, the word is embarrassed. They are embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And that breaks my heart. Um, And that's where I remind exactly what, what we've already talked about is that it's not taught in school. And I don't know about you, Amy, but I'm still learning in this profession every day. So, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty smart. I'm a CPA and a CFP, but I still know there's more to learn. And mm-hmm. I'm still yet for a client not to bring me a, a, a new case that, you know, something new, something that I have to research or, um, you know, I'll call some institution sometimes and get three different answers. So, <laughs> you know, um, anyone being embarrassed, you know, I would say don't be embarrassed. That's the last thing. Um, the best thing you can do is, just like anything, like in my business, for example, I'm not creative. So, um, I don't even try to be creative. I, I hire the people, um, to help me with that. Um, and so if it's not your thing, or if, um, you want to learn there's books or, um, I'd say reach out because, um, Mm -hmm. there's just really no reason to be embarrassed. I think, I think the worst thing is to do nothing at all. Right. And I, and I don't, I I think, I mean, and I have this problem too, like I'm willing to admit it. I have a hard time asking for help, although I'm getting much better at it. Um, It's still a challenge for me because, you know, I was raised in an environment and, and it's unfortunate and it is changing. Our profession is changing, but I was raised in an environment where if you think women are a minority in this profession now, you should have seen it when I got into it. And, you know, to ask for help showed weakness and you could not show weakness. You could not show weakness. So, you know, it, it's changing, but I think that a lot of people out there feel the same way. Like if I ask this question, I'm going to show that, gosh, you know, I, I should have known how to do this or that or whatever it might be. Um, so I, I love that comment that you made. And I want, I want to go back just a little bit. Um, you're helping your, your mom now, when you were a kid, did you, you know, did you, were you included in money conversations? Um, your parents talked to you at all about that? They did, but I think it was more in the sense of, oh, look how much, you know, I made or, um, you know, oh, we spent too much on this. But it wasn't like a sit down about education, you know, what their financial Mm -hmm. plans were. I don't even know if they had a financial plan. Actually, I don't think they did. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the money conversations could only go so far as to what they knew. But Mm -hmm. it definitely wasn't a teaching thing. Um, and, and I think that that was something, you know, kids are remarkable and it's like they, they kind of react off of what's going on around them. And something I started doing was I started stashing money in a box in my, like I wouldn't spend my allowance or my grandma, she was very generous. She would give me sometimes like $500 for Christmas and I wouldn't spend it. And, but I wouldn't tell my parents. That's the Mm. other thing. And, um, 
And it was because they did something right. They taught me that you, you, I, I always brought home pretty good grades. And so that, cause I knew that that meant life would be easier for me. And I liked that, <laughs> but, but I also knew that I could only get what I want to a point. Um, I definitely didn't get everything I wanted. Um, I, have a, I had a good childhood, but nothing, you know, nothing was in excess, I would say. And I, I'm a car person. I know it's not a smart financial thing, but that's my one thing. So I, um, I really wanted a BMW. My dad had one. I loved it. I was determined. So I had figured out since I was like 10 years old how to save for a BMW when I turned 16. So, you know, I think I was more into like teaching myself because I didn't, I, I, I knew my parents weren't going to give it to me and I wasn't getting educated. So I just knew stash and I'm a numbers person clearly as being the, the accountant at first. And, um, so I just, I had figured out a plan and that was kind of money with me as a kid. And then when I turned 16, I, I did a presentation to my dad, how I had figured out I could lease a BMW with the down payment and then keep um, working in the summer um, to pay for the lease payments during the school year. And at that point, he just took my box of money and gave me his car because he was like, that was already amazing in itself. But, you know, I think that that's, um, I, I guess that's, that's really money in my childhood. There wasn't much, there's not much more to say. Those only two things that mm-hmm. stick out in my mind. It really wasn't talked about. And that's interesting that it wasn't part of your, your, upbringing necessarily but again kids are amazing and resilient and maybe it wasn't a discussion but something educated you on that i mean something was ingrained with you in some way shape or form that said stash things because kids kids don't learn that they they see it or you know i mean i shouldn't say they don't learn it i i mean they it's not ingrained in us it's not you know it's not like breed (laughs) it's something that we're taught in a way and however that was ingrained within you that's Great. I um, I just had my nephews down here and our 50th episode of, of Wine and Dime was a recording with them and they're 14 and 11 and oh my gosh, Stitches, if you haven't listened to it, go back to episode 50 because it is the funniest 30 minutes you will spend. Um, but one of the things that I said, what's the one thing Aunt Amy has taught you about money? And one of them said, there's not an unlimited amount of it. And the other one said, it doesn't grow on trees. And I was so impressed. Like... <laughs> Those are good lessons. (laughs) Those are really good lessons. They're 14 and 11. And I'm thinking, that is so cool. (laughs) They're off to a great start. (laughs) I mean, you know, that just, and it's not just me, it's, um, you know, their parents and their grandparents and everything, but it's, it was just, I'm sitting there listening to their responses and I didn't know what to expect. Right. So when they said that, it was like, man, this is so great. This is so awesome. So they, they are, they do pick up a lot of things, even when you think they're not listening. Um, one of my nephews actually mentioned, we were talking about interest on money in the bank. And he said, it's kind of like an IOU and he's 11. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, how does an 11 year old understand IOUs? So I think, you know, is not to get too far down that road, because again, second passion would be like educating or even younger, right? So, um, you know, just, I, I loved your point of, you know, it wasn't talked about, but you had this skill set somewhere, somehow you saw that and that shaped you going forward. Um, do you recall any like advice that you were given throughout your I guess, 
childhood or even into your adulthood that you look back on it now and say, that was great advice? I, I think there was a lot of talk about investing in general. So I knew that that was one way to grow wealth. And it was just, um, you know, what was taught in my family was don't touch the principal and let it keep growing. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't completely agree with that in the sense of, you know, live off the earnings. I think you should just stash money away that you can, especially for retirement and not touch it at all until you need it. Right. But there was still something that was really great about that is like, don't touch the principal. And now I just have used that in more like, don't touch that account. Right. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that mm-hmm. was something that was really, um, it, it was mostly investing that was talked about. Um, and I mm-hmm. think that's, what's interesting about, you know, my childhood is that they did invest, but then because they didn't have the other foundation laid, when things kind of didn't work out, you know, they'd have to kind of go to other sources or do something else. Mm-hmm. And, and of course I figured this all out. It's kind of eye opening when you're an adult and you look back. Um, <laughs> but, but then again, it, it goes back to the whole point. It's like, I'm not upset at them. I would never blame them because again, it's not taught. And so, right. you know, it's, but, but yeah, I would say investing was something I'm really glad that I, I heard a lot about being around my parents and their friends because that's what led me to start reading books when I was, you know, in college to start that mm-hmm. Roth IRA. And, and here I am today now being a financial planner. So I think, you know, there's, there's, it, it definitely shaped me. Mm-hmm. How about the opposite side to that question? Was there anything that you can look back on or anything in, it doesn't even have to be in your life. It can just be in our profession that you've heard that you're like, that's the worst advice ever. You should never do that. I, I think it's, um, oh my gosh, there's so many. And so I think that's a hard one. One of them is doing, yeah. you know, the, the permanent life insurance. And a lot of people know that, right. Um, as, as an investment, um, oh, that makes my skin crawl. Um, or, you know, buying a house can be, is a great investment. That's what you should do. I'm not saying it can't be an investment, but I think a house should be an investment second. Um, there's other ways to invest. And, um, you know, I, I just bought my first house at the age of 32 and I've had a down payment for a house for a very long time, but I waited because I, I, for many factors, but I, I love my house, but let me tell you, there's a lot of costs you don't think about. Like, you know, mm-hmm. pest control or the utilities are more expensive because <laughs> there's more space, all of these things. And I, I'm very glad that I did, you know, put money in my retirement and invest in other and other sources first before kind of having this house that is now much more expensive. Um, and I might not have as much left over every month as I did maybe two years mm-hmm. ago, not owning a home uh, because of the maintenance. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think that's another one. And I just had moved from Seattle and, you know, those housing house prices are, are very, very, very high. And people are like, you should invest, you should invest. And some of those people, if they put all their money in that house and they can be older homes, you know, they might never get to save anywhere outside and be handcuffed to that house, be completely house poor. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. those are a few things that just off the top of my head that I'm like, whoa, 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 like, hold on. 
let's look at the, you know, the, that's where you look at the big picture and you're like, what, yeah, picture, what, what are yep. you trying to accomplish yep. here? Sometimes those can be great in, in certain situations, but really where are you trying to go and, and what's going to get you there? That's always where mm-hmm. I focus first. You know, I, um, this brings up a, a topic that um, I guess you you and I started talking about at one point in time because of some frustrations that we shared. And you had asked me a question once um, about, we'll, we'll leave the company's names off the conversation to a certain extent, but y- you'll... We were talking about how some sometimes like, you know, like you're, you're saying right now, the, the, the assumption is everybody should buy a house. Well, no, not everybody should buy a house. The assumption is everybody should have life insurance. Well, they, they might have some amount of life insurance, but the type of life insurance, you know, can vary based on what the need is. You know, a very young couple should probably have term life insurance on a lot of it, especially if they have kids in debt, you know? Um, but you know, when you get into the upper years when we're doing estate planning, maybe that's when universal life or life insurance, whole life insurance comes into it. But again, that's a maybe, right? There's all these assumptions that, you know, over the years um, have been sold to us. And um, in particular, we were talking about the challenges of people getting their money and how difficult some of the insurance companies seem to make it, at least in our experience. There might be some insurance companies out there that don't do this, but we got on quite a topic about how do we change the profession? How do we change that industry so that when people need their money, they can get it because it seems to be quite a challenge um, for people to be able to do it. Um, would you mind sharing, I know that I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but would you mind sharing just a little bit about, without any names or anything like that, about the, the struggles that you've seen? And, you know, just even talking about it gets the word out there that this is a product that you might want to be aware of, because if you ever need the money, it takes a little bit of work to get it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is something that I really hope to get awareness out, out. Um, and, and I don't know how to solve it yet, but I'm open to any ideas to anyone who's listening. Um, but it, it really upsets me to the core. Um, so a few stories, one of my, my clients, um, parents had passed away and left him some, some money. And, um, it was with an insurance company and, um, it has taken us, I think we're on the third or fourth month trying to transfer it out. Um, at first they gave us the runaround every time we called, um, we would be on hold for an hour. Um, first time they'd tell us to do this. The second time we call in to confirm, they'd tell us to do something different. Um, it was extremely frustrating and, and, not only was it just frustrating alone if you just took it away, how about the emotional side where, you know, this, this mm-hmm. client just lost their, their parent and they're having to go through this. And it mm-hmm. turns out that the last step is um, um, a medallion signature guarantee is going to be required. And, um, you know, thanks to Amy, uh, she told me what this was because most of the time when I ever have to move clients money around from one, you know, 401k to another or an IRA to a 401k, whatever, um, you know, a client can just call past their security clearance with the questions and 
authorize it and off it goes. Um, it's not too hard of a process. Um, but this, I was like, what? And, um, you know, it turns out that it's something that where a company has to actually, they're insuring. So it's like a notary, but they are actually insuring that it is you who is signing that document. And if it's not you, that company that's authorizing that medallion signature is on the hook. So Mm -hmm. guess what that means? That means not many companies want to do this um, because of the liability. And the best thing is, is when you have to go get this signature, they require a statement. Well, here's the most hysterical thing, like a statement that's basically showing, you know, that you, the client, really, this is really your money. Um, they, the, the company that I'm, that we're trying to move it out from, um, only issues a statement once a year. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I, of course got on the phone with the institution that, you know, can, can do the medallion signature guarantee. And we are hoping that if my client brings in as much documentation as possible, um, that proves it, it will go through. If not, we have to wait until November to get this money out. Now that's just one story. I can keep going. Um, Mm -hmm. like uh, my young client who, um, went to another insurance company and they put, um, you know, permanent life insurance on her, the ones that, you know, we, you know, for her really doesn't make sense. And she doesn't even have anyone depending on her income. So, so she might need some kind of life insurance, maybe, um, for me, final, final expenses or something like that, but whole life, how, how old is she? She's under 30. <laughs> and then of course they put, you know, she already has a 401k with her employer. They tell her she needs to set up an IRA and, um, you know, now she's a client of mine and we're trying to get, you know, I, we obviously mm. have canceled the life insurance policy cause it wasn't very long that she had been in it. Thank gosh. And we um, are moving, trying to move the funds out, but of course they now require a medallion signature guarantee. And um, it's a very small amount. And, you know, it's, it's going to take her, you know, probably two or three months just to go through this. Thank gosh she's at a credit union that does the medallion signature guarantee. But the other day, here's another story. My, my aunt, um, she lost her husband and... Um, she's trying to get her these stock certificates in her own name and they require one and her credit union doesn't do medallion signature guarantees. So she just comes to me, what do I do? How do I get one? And they've just been sitting for years in her, you know, um, her deceased husband's name because she doesn't know how to get these things in her, in her name. And this stuff just, this, these, this is people's money. This is someone's assets. And how, how, why are we making it so difficult? Or if we are going to make it difficult to provide for security, we need to be able, uh, they at least need to be able to go get one, yeah. get a medallion signature <laughs> guarantee. But if you're not at one of these institutions, whether you have a bank account, a credit card, something, you may not be able to get one. It's really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. It's very challenging. And, and most people don't understand what a signature or a medallion stamp signature is. I, you know, probably one of the only reasons I knew what it was was because I worked in financial institutions in my early years. So, you know, we had them at our fingertips 
But, you know, a lot of people are like, is that like, you know, is that a notary? I'm like, no, no, it's actually, you know, it's actually a financial institution that has their bond, you know, they've, they've got the insurance behind them to say that if you let this slip through the cracks, you're on the hook for this money. And like you said earlier, and um, fewer and fewer people or, organ, you know, banks and credit unions are offering that as a service because they just... It's, it's not some, it is a courtesy, you know, it's not something a client pays for, um, or a, a bank member pays for or a credit union member pays for. So, and I know you and I were commiserating, I say, um, you know, I've had two, I've had tons of cases in my 25 year span, but the, the two that are probably the most stressful for the client in, in, you know, and I feel their stress, just like you feel their stress. Like, you know, you, you want to help them. And when you see them getting the runaround, you, it's not your fault. It's not my fault, but it's frustrating that, that it's their money and they can't get to it. And my mom has been gracious enough to say, you know, use the, use the story whenever you want. Um, but she had, and, and, you know, I'm naming names here because I've got all the facts. Um, but she had an account with MetLife and it took almost a year and a half to get that money transferred out of there. A year and a half. We'd send the form in, oh, well, this wasn't dated properly. Okay. So we, you know, send the new form in. Oh, well, you know, this, this new form now has to be signed. Okay, we send that form in. Well, the old form now is expired. So now you have to do, you know, I mean, it was just like, and then, and then one time we, I think the first time we, we called, we were even sent the wrong forms. So we sent the, you know, they, they emailed us the forms and they, and then we filled them out and we sent them. And then they said, oh, these are the wrong forms. We're like, we didn't just go grab them from the air. We called you. Well, we're really sorry, but you're going to have to fill out these forms. So a, a year and a half, we finally got the money rolled over. <laughs> it was like, I mean, it was like party came to town, you know, because it was just like every 30 days, it seemed like we were filling out new forms. And then I had another client who was rolling stuff over from um, uh, the names. It used to be IDS. Now, then it became Amerprise. And I guess it's like River Source now or something. And it took one year and one day and in six sets of forms. Like there was always something that they, and one, one time they rejected it because it asked like what type of account it was going into, which is not a regulatory requirement. It's just their requirement to know because we gave the account number and everything like that. And it asked if it was going from one IRA to another, which we said yes. And then it asked what type of account it was going into. And it said, check here if it's an annuity, because obviously there would be exchange paperwork if that was the case. Well, I didn't check the box, but I didn't check brokerage either. So they rejected the form and they would not accept it verbally. She had to fill out a whole new set of form, everything. I mean, it was just those things. um, And those are two recent cases. Like if I could, if I could go back and we could do a whole show on this. We could. And and, and I think my question to you is like, how is this legal? Like that's where it really gets me fired up because I'm this, you are locking what, I mean, I don't know in your cases, but 
I mean, luckily these are retirement accounts, but let's say it's a case where someone really needs that money. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily my mom didn't need it for, um, you know, something that was, uh, emergency. Like, you know, she wasn't doing a withdrawal for income purposes or anything like that. It was just to roll it over just to get out of a higher cost product that she didn't need necessarily. Um, but yeah, what if she did? Or this other client was doing the same thing. We were just getting it into brokerage because the riders um, weren't really providing her much benefit and were just expensive. Um, I'm not against annuities or against insurance products at all. I always say to people, there is a place for all of that stuff. But I am against the idea that people have to beg for their own money or that they don't have access to their money when they when they might need it. And it's not even a liquidity issue. You know, it's not like they entered into those products and said, Oh, well, I'm going to lock, you know, I know that the money's going to be locked up for three years or for five years or seven years or something like that. It's just, they're just trying to roll over their money into different um, types of products that might cost a little bit less. Um, and, and that's the part that I think both you and I were saying, we're frustrated about what do we do about it? The only thing we can do about it is just keep talking about it. So more and more people hear about it and don't get themselves into the product without full knowledge of how hard it could be to get out of it. Um, working with the regulators and saying to them, you know, this isn't fair. The consumer protection bureau is, um, you know, is an organization that I've had to, to go to and say, look, what can we do for this client? Like, this is ridiculous. What, what can you do to help us, you know, with the client get the money? But again, I, I go back to your comment about what if they needed it for income? Like, what if they had to take that money to pay their mortgage? Or, you know, what, what if it was a necessity, a, a true emergency? How would, how would that feel? How, I think that added stress that the client would have if they couldn't get to the money. So, you know, that's, that's the best, um, I think, from my perspective, it's, it's sad that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the insurance. Yeah, that's the, that's the way they're in the industry rolls. And then you come along and you're like, no, that's not right. We've got to do something about that. And, you know, you for somebody like me, I'm like, yeah, you're right. We do. <laughs> I guess I've just come to say or come to think like this stinks and that's just the way it is. But is there things that we can do? Um, definitely, like I said, educating people so they don't go into it not knowing what's going to happen. But um, I, I think for if people are listening to this and they have some suggestions and ideas we are willing to serve in that capacity. I mean, as fiduciaries, we're always supposed to do what's in the best interest of our client, always. And if that means going to bat in a more global way, then, you know, I think Heather and I are up for that challenge. <laughs> I am 110% up for that challenge, Jamie. And I'm glad to have you along, along my side with it. Oh, boy. There's probably a lot of people that would join us. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. I know that that kind of sidetracked our conversation today, but I do think it's important that we, as a, 
um, as planners that we think about how stuff like that impacts our clients and um, that we educate the kid, you know, the, the, the folks that are out there that are teach. I mean, you know, here's the thing too, that bothers me more than anything. Cause it, cause it seems to be this particular group that gets hit the hardest teachers, nurses, doctors, educators, you know, those are the people that seem to be the most frequently impacted by unfortunately these products because they're the ones going into the school systems and the hospitals and is it suitable absolutely i'm not saying anything i'm not saying anybody's doing anything illegal they are suitable products in the eyes of of our regulators but sometimes i you know sometimes i i think well just because something is legal doesn't always mean it's ethical. Completely agree. That's what exactly what I was going to say. And, and it, I think also, you know, with these products too, there's, especially with these in particular, there's a lot of hidden fees. Um, and I don't think they're, they, they don't disclose them very clearly either. Um, and that's the main reason if you're wondering why they make it so hard most of the time, at least what I've found, Amy, tell me if I'm wrong, but what my clients are in can be very expensive products mm-hmm. or funds or whatever it is. And the reason that these companies make it so hard for them to get their money out is they want to keep making money off of that. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, that would be easy enough to put two and two together, right? And we can make assumptions that that's the case. Um, I'm sure that if I had somebody on um, the podcast to rebuttal that, they would say, oh, no, no, it's regulatory driven. It's, you know, we have to make sure all of our T's and the insurance industry is highly regulated. I get that. But, you know, you can't, you can't take a a verbal that somebody is transferring this money that the client's verbal that they're transferring this money to a brokerage account, you're gonna make them fill out all the forms again. That's, you know, that's where I'm like, that's not that come on. (laughs) Anyway, um, thank you for letting me hijack. That particular topic. Um, the rest of the the audience is listening to it. If you if you do have any ideas or suggestions, we are really up to the task of of going to bat and and trying to figure out exactly what our next steps are. But Heather and I got into it, that conversation a a, a bit ago, and um, and we wanted to share you know that we're frustrated with it just as much on on your behalf and to educate everybody that's listening on some things to watch for some dangers that are out there. Um, if it, if it, uh, if you ask the question about, uh, you know, how, how quickly can I get my money? And they say, Oh, it's simple. (laughs) Start asking more questions. (laughs) Ask if they need a signature guarantee to do a withdrawal. Ask, you know, what the, the, um, turnaround time is, uh, ask if they'll help you, um, with the process. You know, those are some questions that may, may guide you just a little bit. I don't know. Do you have any other suggestions along those lines? 
I do. I, I, it's actually being more of like a cheerleader a little bit, but what I tell my clients is of course I set expectations. Thanks to you knowing how long your, your moms took. I said, this could take a really long time, but I said, we will win. We will not give up. So that's what I, you know, this is your hard earned money. You, you deserve this. And so I would also encourage you get it out, you know, get it out, get it, you know, obviously don't pay the taxes on if it's that case or anything like that, just move it to another institution um, that, that might be a little easier to deal Mm -hmm. with. And that will, you know, not put you on a hold also for an hour. Um, But, you know, I would say, don't give up, you know, I, I don't, don't give them any more of your money, you know, don't give them any more of your money. Don't let them make any more money off of your hard earned money and just persevere and get it out and you can do it. And um, I think that's also how we can help and make it aware is consumers kind of stand up for themselves and say, no, I I, I don't want that. You know, I'm not okay with this. I'm taking my money elsewhere. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe even asking the question, like, what is the penalty associated with that too? Because um, they do like to mention that like, well, if you withdraw money, um, you know, there's a 3% penalty or a 4% penalty or something like that, but then turn around and say, well, what am I paying in fees? Because, you know, you want to weigh that out. If you're paying 3% in fees and you're going to get hit with a 3% penalty, then really it's a wash, right? Because if you left it in there another year in order to get waived the 3%, well, you paid the 3% anyways. So it's the language around it sometimes when they say, well, if you, if you withdraw this money, I, we just want you to be aware that there's a, a penalty. Okay, that's important to know. Absolutely. What is that penalty? But then on the opposite side, what is the fee associated with leaving it there? Because, you know, again, if the penalty is 2% and the fee is 3 well, then you just gained 1% by paying the 2 right? So a lot of times when we ask certain questions, the vagueness of answers, um, you know, maybe it's only one-sided. So you have to, you have to be aware of, of asking additional questions and being that champion, I think, you know, is, is because we know all these little sort of secrets. We've, we've experienced them, unfortunately, with the expense of, you know, frustration of other clients, but we can at least go into this saying, here's the expectation. Here's the questions that we can ask. Just be aware that, that this is what it's like. That in and of itself, I think brings the stress level down. (laughs) And another thing I would add to that, Amy, is if you hear something and it doesn't sound right, or you hear something like that, you might have a penalty call back the next day and ask someone else and see if the answer is different. Because that was my case. I got told on, on one client's account that there were going to be surrender charges. And then the next time I called in, there weren't. So then I called in a third time and got up to the, you know, high, high manager to get the real, real answer. Thankfully, it turned out there would not be, but they were trying, I think, to scare us to not move the money by saying there would be penalties. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, to me, that's criminal, right? Because you were outright told the wrong information that could have prohibited that transfer. So, yeah. So we, wa- we, would- well, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I, I promised you that I would, uh, would keep, 
keep the call at 30 minutes. We're now into 45. So uh, clearly that passion showed through. Uh, Hopefully everybody's hung on and listened to us talk about that and feels more educated about it as we've shared. But I do want to circle back around to you in closing, um, Heather, because I think you have a lot to share um, on the on the soul searching side of the conversation that I usually have too, and um, and you have uh, you've been an inspira- inspiration to me in a lot of ways. You 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 started your business, and then a few months into starting your business, you said, um, well, not you know, didn't say, but you picked up and relocated. And I can't imagine the stress associated with with starting this new business and, and being uh, in the financial planning side of things and then, you know, picking up and moving a whole household. Um, so you've inspired me in many ways. And um, I'd love to know uh, overall, wh- what is what is your definition of success when you think about your life and others? That's a really interesting question. And I actually wish uh, for things on 11-11 when I see it. And a lot of it is I'm wishing for what I believe success is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I repeat quite a few things because it's not just one thing. Um, but for me, success is um, one health because I don't even know. Every time I get the flu, right? That one time I get I get a flu and it's a flu. You know, I don't have something like cancer or... I don't know, but you know, it's a flu and how awful does that feel? You know? So it's, um, I think health is, is one thing that I think is success is being healthy to do the things you want to do. Having, I, I, having really inspiring people around you that you enjoy being around, Mm -hmm. um, that lights me up and makes me be a better person. And, um, that can be hard to find sometimes. Um, so to have those people and keep them around you, um, and have, have a, a relationship where it's, um, equal where you're giving and exchanging. So they, they must find me inspiring in some way as well, um, mm-hmm. to be able to attract these people, um, to love what I do. Um, because we all obviously need to make a living and, um, you know, I wanted for me, it was success. Yes. I make money doing something, but I'm making money doing something that fulfills me. And that's making a difference, a positive difference. Um, love in my life. Um, and just, I think loving yourself, like you, you, I think that's something that it has been, especially in our profession to be able to help people. You really, I think before you can help others, you have to take care of yourself. So I've been really working on self care and Mm -hmm. yoga was something that just changed my life because I'm so type A um, at first I, 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 I started yoga, what, four or five years ago, which it seems it, that seems ridiculous. Cause I still think, again, that's one of those things I'm always learning. I, I don't feel like I'm a master at it at all, but, um, I, I didn't even, I thought Shavasana was that's by the way, where you lay on the mat flat and can't move for five minutes. That was like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of in my life. I was like, what? I got to go do this, this, and this. Um, and um, it's taken me four or five years, but now I love Shavasana. <laughs> I can do like 15 minutes of Shavasana. So, um, you know, that's, I think, calming the mind also. Um, you know, it helps you think clearer and, um, and know kind of what you want and trust your gut more. Um, so for me, I, and to be honest with you, Amy, 
I think I'm still discovering what success really means. Mm-hmm. It changes as I get older and, um, and, and I'm learning more about myself and learning what makes me feel good. And, um, but I know it involves people, love, health, and happiness. I know those things are all in there. Um, but how exactly they are, I'm still figuring it out, to be honest. Oh, that's a great answer. And so honest. I love it. What feeds your soul? Oh, people. Mm-hmm. Right away, people. I just, good people, but oh, there's just, when I'm around, like I make a joke. I have a great, great husband. I love him to death, but he's not enough. And in the sense of, <laughs> I couldn't live without my girlfriends um, too. And and if I, I just had my girlfriends, that wouldn't be enough either. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, I need, yeah. but you know, it's really, it's really being around all different types of people. Mm-hmm. And when I go to lunch with a, a really inspiring woman entrepreneur, I come back like I'm high on life. It is the best feeling in the world. Or when I get off a conversation with you, Amy, like especially when we were at XYP and live, and we were only supposed to meet for an hour and three hours later, we're still into that. <laughs> that stuff just like lights me up. And, um, you know, or when I have a really special dinner with my husband or I don't know, those things just really feed my soul. And then... And then it's having those great days and then getting on my yoga mat at the end of the day and like reflecting and feeling good and like taking care of myself. I think, I think those things really feed my soul. Um, Well, I would say you're one of those people that feeds my soul. Your energy is amazing. You're, you know, I think um, your kinderness to people is incredible. I, I think, you know, is a financial planner and the people that work with you are lucky to work with you. And, um, it's not just about what we do. It's about who they are. And that comes loud and clear, um, to me as somebody who's seen a lot of different type of people in this profession. And I'm really proud to have you as a cohort within this profession. And and I know you're going to just do amazing things as you continue to grow your business. And I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing your stories and your journey. And, um, you know, talking dirt with me about <laughs> the, the issues that we've had um, and the struggles that we see within our profession and, and the frustrations that we have and how we want to educate people just in general about what's going on. So thank you very, very much. And I have one final fun question for you. Um, so we know you love Bordeaux and we know that you love Malbec, but what do you like to pair with it for food? Oh, that is so hard because, oh, that's the hardest part. Like, I, I, I mean, I, 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 oh, oh, I'm just trying to think for a second. Um, well, I love to cook when I pair wine. I will say that because for some reason, when you make it yourself, mm-hmm. it tastes better. My husband and I, that's our, our uh, thing we do together as we cook. And I love to put on ridiculous, like when I cook, it's not just like, okay, I'm going to make a fish and some vegetables and, you know, some rice or something. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but when I go, it's like truffle mac and cheese or, um, you know, some, oh, I'm trying to think, or like a, a salmon and kraut was the other one I attempted the other day. So it's, it makes it so much more fun to taste this new creation that I've, we've created with a, with a wine. Um, so, you know, I really, I, I don't have anything. I just, I think the right wine with the, what you're making is, yeah. um, yeah. 
what I would say, but wine makes the meal taste better. That is what I will leave it with. But there is, there, there's not one. I mean, I mean, like pizza, you know, you know, a good Italian, like a Nebbiolo is one of my favorites to have. I think it depends kind of on what I'm having, right? Whereas I'm having a really delicate fish that I made, I, I might want a white or a pinot, mm-hmm. you know, so it just, if I'm having Indian, I really want a fruity mm-hmm. red wine. So it just so depends on you know, what, what I'm having, I guess, would be my answer. <laughs> I think it's more about, it's similar to the answer that you had before. It's not so much the food, it's the people that you're with. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thank you so much again for being part of the show and, um, and for sharing your ideas and thoughts. And uh, again, we hope you come back in the future. Oh, thank you so much, Amy. And that will about do it for this week's episode of Wine and Dime. You can visit Amy on the web at irvineadvise.com. Or you can follow her on Twitter at Amy Irvine Advise. Or on her Facebook page, Irvine Wealth Planning Strategies. If you have any questions, comments, or topics that you would like to hear about, feel free to contact us through Twitter or Facebook. We will do our best to answer your questions. We would love to hear from you. And thank you for listening. <laughs>